Hi there and welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is from Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through to 14 which describe Jesus' ascension and our reading is read by the wonderful Anne Henschel. A reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. Then the apostles gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Today's sermon is entitled Ascension, Lifting Up Our Lives. But before I jump in, please pray for me as I pray for you. Loving Lord God, we thank you for your word to us today. And we pray that you would help us to live ascension lives, lifting up our lives to you. Thank you for everyone listening to this podcast. And we pray, Lord, that it would help us to grow closer to Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. We're into week six of the Take Back Sunday series, which has been a back to the future kind of series. When COVID-19 restrictions hit Australia, people said things like, when things get back to normal, we'll meet up, or I can't wait till things go back to the way they were. As the months have dragged on, though, we've realized that things are never going back to normal. And this is why Take Back Sunday has been such a refreshing series to better understand how the church got going in the past and where God may take us in the future. We've looked at baptism, communion, worship and apologetics and what the core elements of this thing called church are. Today we're again going back to the future because although we've been traveling forward in Acts so far in this series, getting as fast as Acts 17 last Sunday, Today we're going back to Acts chapter 1. 
There we read that after his resurrection, Jesus presented himself to people and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 years and spoke about the kingdom of God. After his resurrection, Jesus meets with his disciples and instructs them. But after 40 days, Jesus makes his move. Look at verse 9 if you've got your Bible with you. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Things were going well. Jesus returns to life and spends time with his friends. He tells them they're going to get the Holy Spirit, but all of a sudden, Elvis leaves the building. Jesus vanishes, and the disciples are left alone. This seems like a tragedy, but it's not. It's actually a triumph. The ascension marks the day Jesus began to work from home. Today we're going to see what Jesus' ascension means for our lives by looking at three contrasts which we see in this passage. We'll look at the difference between our kingdom versus God's kingdom. We'll see the difference between having our heads in the clouds and having our hearts set on Jesus. And we'll see the difference between anxious busyness and prayerful togetherness. As we do so, we'll see that the ascension is our call to lift up our lives to the Lord. So let's jump in. In verse 6, Jesus' mates gather round him and say, Hey Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? The people are wishing for life to return to normal. And like people wishing for life to turn to normal today, they ask if Jesus will make Israel great again. They want Jesus to start building an earthly geographic kingdom, no doubt with them at the top. But Sean White No warring serves God's kingdom, no zealous uprising, not even the expulsion of occupying forces, but simply the communal witness and their preaching of the gospel, a preaching aimed at winning converts to the lordship of Christ and his reign within their own communities. Here Jesus tells his disciples that he's not into their agenda. Instead, he's about God's kingdom. God has something much better in store. In verse 7 he says, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is so much to teach the church today. So often when we have our own visions of what the perfect church looks like or does, we get in front of Jesus and get out of step with God's kingdom plan. Here Jesus shows his disciples and us that they are in control of even their own futures, let alone of God's kingdom. What he does tell them is that the Holy Spirit is coming and they will be his kingdom builders. They will be his witnesses. The book of Acts follows these concentric circles of going from Jerusalem to Judea, uh, north of Jerusalem, then to Samaria, a little bit further out, and then to the ends of the earth. They will be his kingdom builders, but they will be his kingdom builders on his terms. What's more, Jesus' kingdom building plan is far better than what the disciples could imagine, as long as they make the choice to dive in and follow it. This passage should encourage us to constantly be praying that God would help us follow his plan and his agenda, that he would use us for his good purposes. 
The role of the church is to witness to God's goodness and grace in any way God calls us. This is a sobering reminder to get our heads out of the clouds and fix our hearts on Jesus. In verse 9, Jesus ascends up into the heavens and is hidden by a cloud. and The disciples stick around staring into the sky. In verse 10, we read, After this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus ascends into the heavens, into the sky, but the two men dressed in white, possibly Moses and Elijah, who were at Jesus' transfiguration, remind the disciples to get their heads out of the clouds. Notice that three times in verses 9 to 11, the Bible tells us that the disciples' eyes and heads were set steadfastly on the sky. The emphasis here is that they're gawking, almost in a trance, distracted. These messengers know the disciples and they say, you Galileans, they remind them of this aspect of their identity and all Jesus has done in them since they're called from Galilee. It all comes rushing back and the disciples finally snap out of their trance. Again, there is so much for the church today to learn here. So often people have their heads in the clouds trying to figure out where Jesus is and when he's coming back that they take their hearts off Jesus. There are charts, websites and whole movements of people trying to figure out the semantics of Jesus' journey, his location and the cosmology of the Bible. But these random men tell the disciples to get their heads out of the clouds and fix their hearts on Jesus. Jesus has already told his disciples where he's going, back to heaven, God's space, to rule and reign in his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus has already told them when he'll come back at God's appointed time. Jesus has also told his disciples that his leaving opens the way for the Holy Spirit to come. In John 14.26 we read, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. We can only speculate what would have happened if Jesus had not ascended and had instead stayed on earth. The people would probably have tried to kill Jesus again and the worldwide missions movement would never have started because people would have been so wrapped in staying with Jesus that they never would have gone out and preached the gospel. Jesus leaves in order to fulfill God's perfect plan for our world. And so we should rejoice and feel empowered by this account of the ascension without getting our heads stuck in the clouds. 
Thankfully, the disciples get their heads back in the game and return to the city praising God. Friends, as a church, we need to follow their example. Let's not get our heads lost in the clouds of trying to figure out what heaven looks like or the day and time of Jesus' return. Let's instead fix our hearts on following Jesus now in the knowledge that when Jesus comes back, every eye will see him, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first time Jesus came into the world, he came as a baby in a specific place and only a few people saw him and acknowledged him. But when Jesus returns, everyone will see him and every knee will bow. It's time now to commit to Jesus, to get our heads out of the clouds and fix our hearts on Jesus. As the disciples snap back to reality and remember Jesus' words, they return to Jerusalem to pray and wait for Jesus to send his Holy Spirit. Which is why as we wait for Jesus' final return, we should do so in a state of prayerful togetherness. Now you'd think that after all the disciples had been through, they would live in a state of anxiety. What did Jesus say again? What were we meant to do again? Who is going to take care of us now? Jesus is gone. Levels of anxiety in Australia are high as we think about what our world will be like in the future. Will we have another outbreak of COVID-19? Will wars break out in the wake of this virus? It's easy to feel anxiety at times like this, but the disciples show us that that anxiety isn't the only option available to us in times of loss and uncertainty. In verse 12, we read, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from this hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brothers. The first Jesus community was a prayerful one. They were also intimately engaged in each other's lives. They knew each other by name and they met constantly in prayer. Among them are Jesus' own family who now worship him. Imagine Mary worshiping and praying to the boy she nursed as a child. Imagine Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, worshiping their brother as the one true God. I was chatting with some friends about this passage yesterday and we came up with some uber alliteration for this sermon. We came up with purposeful prayerfulness is the panacea or remedy in preparation for producing Pentecost people in the post-pandemic period. I'll say that again. Purposeful prayerfulness is the panacea for preparation for producing Pentecost people in the post-pandemic period. As we see COVID-19 restrictions relax, it's easy to get anxious about the future. How will we live? What will I do now? The example the disciples give us has so much wisdom for us today. Instead of getting stressed and busy, they join together in prayer. They're not idle. They end up choosing a replacement for Judas uh, among the 11 disciples. You may have noticed that 11 disciples 11 apostles are named and they do end up in the end of Acts chapter 11 choosing Matthias 
but they do so in a state of prayerful togetherness rather than anxious busyness. This is why today I really want to use this sermon to challenge all of us to dig into God in prayer this week. There's a minister's fraternal prayer meeting uh, over Zoom on Monday, the uh, 25th of May, um, if you're listening to this in time. Or you might like to meet with a friend or two and pray for our church or your church uh, in your home or online. You might like to spend a day this week to switch off the news, social media, and let those pandemic projects everyone says you should be doing slide. You might want to spend some time with God this week in prayerful togetherness. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating Pentecost, and we'll see the jumpstart the Holy Spirit gave the disciples. But for now, let's follow Mary and the disciples into our upper rooms and spend time in prayer. Our world at the moment is filled with anxious busyness, when as a church we're called to be a community of faith and a group of people who lift up our lives in prayerful togetherness. I'd like to read a poem in finishing, which I feel really sums up the mood of what I'm trying today, trying to say today. It's called God Works by Vincent A. Chow, and it's available at prayerforanxiety.com. It says this, when the burdens of the world weigh heavily upon your shoulders, when things suddenly spin out of control, when you feel afraid, weak or forgotten, know this, God is working. Resist the temptation to know and do it all. Run away from the lie that all is lost. Instead, run to him. In your fragility and weakness, that's where God does his great work. It's where his grace thrives. When you fail, when you hurt yourself or others, even when you reject him, run to him again. Even it's the, if it's the hundredth time, let God work again and again, for this is his greatest act. The blood of the Son spilled freely, his outpouring of forgiveness and love, can never be limited, never contained. To wash you clean again, whole, complete and free, God forgives you. He loves you. His spirit forms your character as a child of God. Let God work. Oswald Chambers once said, At his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. Friends, let's be a church that's all about building God's kingdom with our hearts fixed on Jesus in a community of prayerful togetherness. Amen.